Welcome to the Heartbeat Show podcast with Tim Hart, talking mortgage, real estate, and whatever else is happening in our Southwest Florida community and around the world. Enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Tim Hart, branch manager of Van Dyke Mortgage. Welcome to an episode of the Heartbeat Show podcast. This is pretty cool. Got a a friend of mine got to know each other the last couple of years. He's big time now, so I always appreciate him coming on. So we got with us uh, our state rep here in Southwest Florida for District uh, 77, and that's Dane Eagle. Dane, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, Tim. Good to be with you. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man. And uh, you guys, uh, if you're watching, Dane not only is our state rep, but the man is the House Majority Leader in Florida. Is that right, Dane? Yeah, yeah, majority leader in the Florida House, and uh, that uh, gives me a lot to do in Tallahassee when I'm not back home. But uh, it's been a it's been a good ride and a lot of fun. <laughs> awesome, dude. So we're gonna discuss the 2019 legislative agenda. You guys got our session. I'm sorry. Uh, you guys got a lot of stuff done, uh, and we want to touch on, you know, just highlight a few of these points and stuff. Uh, but before we get into that, Dane, do you mind um, kind of one tell? If anyone's watching this and they don't know what the majority leader does, uh, if you can tell them that. Um, and then also uh, a little bit of your background, man. How, you know, how long have you been in the politics game? And you're from Southwest Florida as well, right? Yeah, yeah. From here. Born and raised in Southwest Florida. So I went to Bishop Rural High School, went to FTCU for a little while, graduated from UF. So I'm a, I'm a homegrown guy uh, for sure. Uh, born in the Memorial Hospital. I mean, that's, uh, you can't get much further back than that. But uh, obviously, if any of your viewers uh, were with uh, Rates and Reels, uh, we, we had a good time on, uh, on the show. And I've still got that picture of the cobia in my uh, legislative office in Tallahassee. Oh, so that's, nice. It's on nice. display up there. So everybody walks them when they're walking out the door, they see that. <coughs> It's a great experience. And flexing on him with the cobia. I yeah, hear. yeah. No, it was a good time. It was a good time. Uh, but so I've been, I got elected in 2012 by the, the, the uh, voters here in Southwest Florida and uh, greatly appreciate it. We got term limits. So this is my final term. I've got one more year in Tallahassee, uh, but it's a part-time legislature. So we've already finished for 2019. We were up there for 60 days of session that ended on May 4th. We go up there for committee weeks ahead of time to get prepared. Uh, but our only constitutional duty is to balance the budget. That's the only thing we're required to do. We do a bunch of other great things as well. Uh, pass some good legislation, stop bad legislation from happening. But the budget was the main priority, and within the budget, we got great things done, especially when it comes to education, environmental quality, water quality. Uh, that was that was majorly important, and we'll get into that. But the job of the majority leader, my job, uh, is to work with the Speaker of the House and the majority caucus. The majority happens to be Republican, uh, and then the minority is the Democratic caucus, and I work well with the minority leader. We don't always see eye to eye, but uh, in order for stability and to get things done, you got to work together. You certainly do. But we have uh, uh, now 73 Republicans in the Florida House. So my job is to work with all 73 members, make sure that their priorities are passing as long as their priorities align with the, the priorities of the caucus, which is you know, less, less spending, less, less government, less regulation, more freedom in a nutshell. Free market reform is a major uh, thing that we've been pursuing, trying to get government out of the, re out of the way and just allow you know, commerce to, to happen on its own. And we believe that's the best way to push uh, a strong economy and that's the best way to support families as well. Uh, so my job is to work with all of them, keep order, and make sure that our priorities are passing. Dude. You got your hands full, bro. That's, that's, <laughs> Some that's say it's like herding cats. <laughs> it's a lot of personalities. I bet. A lot of personalities. I used to complain all. about coaching T-ball and having like <laughs> five-year-olds running around. I can't imagine what you have to do. Five-year-olds and then you got uh, politicians of all ages running around. <laughs> it's, uh, 
There's some comparisons there. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So, dude, before we get uh, keep rolling, I, I got to ask you, because I, I love putting you on the spot here, I'm going to do it. So, like, uh, you're you're going to be up here soon. DeSantis is our governor now. So, uh, in eight years, he's going to be term limited out if he wins again, right? That's that's right. He's got yeah. uh, he's got to win one more time. So he will be done in 2026, I believe. So right yeah. here, right now, 2026, Dane Eagle. <laughs> you want to announce your candidacy for the governor of Florida? Uh, not today. On the not today. Podcast. Uh, not today. But let's uh, let, let's talk in uh, six years and see where we are. <laughs> All right. I tried to get you uh, on rates and reels a couple years ago too. So. Yeah. Yeah. I one day, maybe, maybe one day you'll get me, but All not right. there, not near there yet. I'm enjoying where I'm at now. All right, just consider me when you come to a time to announce. I mean, Dumb. I'll put you in front of like seven people. So. <laughs> <laughs> seven strong voters, I'll take it. That's right. All right, man, let's get to it. So um, you guys had a lot of different uh, issues this year you covered. Um, I've got a couple that I kind of want to, you know, get an overview of. Um, but you being involved heavily into it, I'm sure you have or know – uh, you know, the ones that were the major hot button type issues that, you know, you guys had to handle. So um, do you want, <clears throat> are there any in particular you want to check off your list first? Yeah, well, what I'll do is I'll, I'll talk about the budget and what that encompassed, and then we can get into some of the more policy issues that are more hot button. Um, but the, the budget itself, and, and just to kind of framework that, since it is our only constitutional duty, we do balance our budget in Florida. Washington doesn't do that. We all see the debt that tracks up every single day and the chaos that we have up there because no one gets anything done. In Florida, um, I think we do three things right. We have uh, term limits, as I mentioned. Uh, eight years is the, the most you can serve, whether you're a House member, a senator, or a governor, or a cabinet member. Eight years is all you get. Uh, and then you got to move on and let someone fresh start over and uh, inject some new ideas. And that's a wonderful thing. It's a part-time legislature. We're up there for 60 days out of the year. We got to get it done. We can't keep kicking the can down the road for eternity. And then we come home and we live under the laws we pass, unlike Congress. Congress is up there, what, nine, 10 months out of the year. Uh, you tend to forget who you serve in a situation like that when you're not home in the district that you serve. So we got to come home and work our, our full-time jobs and work in commercial real estate. And that's how we put food on the table and pay our bills. So I think that's the way our founding fathers intended. And then the third thing is balancing the budget. Uh, we actually live within our means here. We're not spending more than we take in. And in fact, we try to spend less than we take in through tax cuts and reserves. So our budget's $91.1 billion, which is a lot of money, $91.1 billion, $91 billion is a lot of money. But to put that in perspective, um, let's look at the state of New York. State of New York is slightly smaller than the state of Florida. Uh, in the last census, we surpassed them. We were the fourth largest state. They were the third. We switched places. We're now the third largest state. They're the fourth. We continue to grow. We have 800 new people coming here every single day. Um, so we have you know, slightly larger population than New York. Their budget is twice the size. Their budget is nearly $180 billion. Ours is just over $90 billion. So that puts it in perspective. Wow. Less people, our budget is half the size. Um, or excuse me, around the same amount of people and our budget's half the size. So we try to live within our means. So when you look at that $91.1 billion, a lot of that money goes to healthcare and we've been trying to chip away at that by injecting more free market reform, get government out of the way, let the private sector thrive and let people uh, have the opportunity to buy affordable health insurance and get access to good uh, affordable health care. That's, that's a, a major goal we've been working on. Education is one of the most important things the state does. 
that's not necessarily a responsibility of the federal government, although they've been taking that on. The Constitution delegates that responsibility. The U.S. Constitution delegates that responsibility to the states. So we've got to make sure we have a strong education system. We compete with the other 49 states to make sure we have the best um, uh, kids coming up with the best education they deserve, by the way, not the education government dictates to them. Uh, and then uh, one of the other you know, major important things is, is public safety. Uh, infrastructure and with infrastructure comes water quality and that's a major issue for us in Southwest Florida uh, and we put into the budget this year uh, a record-breaking 687 billion dollars towards water quality and Everglades restoration that's um, unprecedented it's the most Everglades friendly budget in Florida's history the Southwest Florida delegation has always been focused on that and working on it but the fact is we have 160 uh, legislators house members and senators from all over the state We've got to convince people in the Panhandle and beyond that it's important to invest in, in water quality, you know, Lake Okeechobee in South Florida. And this governor stepped up. He made it a statewide issue, not a regional issue. And that's why we were so successful this year. So we've got money for reservoir projects, which will help uh, with the flow, uh, raising Tamiami Trail, Southern Reservoir, Eastern, uh, Western Reservoirs, Northern Reservoirs, money for uh, blue-green algae uh, mitigation, for red tide research. Uh, septic to sewer. I mean, you name it. There's parts of that in the budget. It's going to take time. We got to keep chipping away at it, time and money. We've got momentum on our side, so it's going to keep getting better. Yeah, I mean, just a couple quick points on water quality. Uh, you got you got. If this is a quick answer, I don't know. Um, what what does a legislator? That's pretty unique, though. You tell me about the Panhandle and like you know Jacksonville and stuff. Like, do they care about South Florida? You know, like. Yeah. They've got a, so Senate Bill 10 in 2017, which is the Southern Reservoir, the entire panhandle voted against it. I mean, and, and to their credit, they've got to go home and tell their constituents, yeah, we just voted on, you know, billions of dollars in South Florida, which my constituents, my being them, are never going to see. So, right. you know, how, how do they go home and, 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 and talk about all the spending that they just uh, voted for that's not going to benefit their district? But in fact, it does. While they may not see the direct benefit of having a reservoir in South Florida, the tourism, the economy, it's all connected. Our state is all connected. So when you've got blue-green algae coming out of Lake Okeechobee and red tide on the West Coast, and the news stations are flashing that all over the country, people are going to come to Florida. So that affects every single Floridian. And I think that this last summer and this governor made that a highlight and they got it and we were able to get a lot of good work done. Yeah, I mean, just with the tax revenue alone, the sales tax sure. and, you know, that doesn't come here. And a lot of people don't differentiate like, hey, you know, whatever, red tide, water quality, all they hear is Florida. And they're like- Florida yeah, and bad water. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, man. Um, and then the other thing was, um, what happens north of Lake Okeechobee? Like the Orlando, Kissimmee, like what, what, what's going on up there? So that's, water, that's water quality. Sure. And that's the, the main source. I mean, so what we're seeing is uh, we've got 21 million people in the state of Florida. Majority of that's in the central Florida area. Well, not a majority, but a good strong portion of our population is north of Lake Okeechobee and in central Florida. That all flows south of the <laughs> river basin into Lake Okeechobee. Uh, the water in Lake Okeechobee doesn't necessarily go south, not to the degree that we need it. And that's what we're focused on is getting that southern reservoir. So then the water flows east and west. But rather than just, you know, stemming and working on the flow or the water once it's in Lake Okeechobee, we've also got to focus on, you know, how to prevent that water from getting into Lake Okeechobee in the first place, or at least slowing it or cleaning it. So we got $50 million into the budget this year to help with that northern, uh, northern storage so that we can uh, slow the flow is kind of the slogan that's been out there, slow the flow from getting into Lake Okeechobee so we don't have to release it as quickly and we can manage it better. We need that water in the dry months. You know, we, we, we hear about Lake Okeechobee releases and it's often seen as a bad thing. And dry, dry months during uh, the winter season, we actually need that water. 
when we don't want it is when it's raining here and then we get the water from there and now we're doubling up and that's when we need to really mitigate that. So it's yeah. about managing it year, year round. No, I got you. I got you. <clears throat> um, okay. So let's roll um, off of that with the water quality and start getting into some of these issues that you guys um, had passed. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Fire away. Uh, so um, a couple of sticking ones I saw for you guys, um, sanctuary cities. So you want to cover that real quick? Sure. Yeah. Sanctuary cities. The governor just signed that bill into law. I think it was last Friday. So, and it's, it's doesn't come without a share of controversy, of course, but the, the, the idea behind it, you know, we hear about what does sanctuary city mean and, and, and uh, the media tends to, to jump on this and it gets a little bit convoluted, but the basic principle is, look, we've got laws in our country and those laws should be followed. Uh, we're all for immigration. I think any one of us uh, can, can point somewhere in our, in our family tree and point to where and when uh, an immigrant came here, and that's why we're here. We're all for immigration, but it's legal immigration. And what we've got to do is stem the flow of illegal immigration. Allow people to come here and, and, and prosper, but we've got to do it in a, in a, in a, uh, in a matter of rules, in a matter of laws. And, and our immigration system's broken, there's no question. The federal government needs to get a handle on that and fix it so that it is a little bit more efficient, that good people can come here. They're not waiting in line, because what we're doing it when you do that is you're you're just incentivizing them from doing it the right way and then they just jump the border. But that's a, that's a federal problem at the state level. We have no say over that. But what we do have a say over is how our state follows the laws. And we have federal laws in the books that say that illegal immigration is illegal. And, and those that are, are here illegally, uh, they don't have a right to be. But even furthermore, those that are here illegally and breaking the law beyond that, that are you know, cr criminal illegal aliens, that we should not be harboring people like that. If they're here illegally and they're breaking the law, they should be turned over to ICE, and ICE can then determine what to do with them and, and, and most likely deport them. Um, but you've got different states around the country and different cities and different within these states that say, no, we're not going to follow these laws. We are not going to turn over any legal immigrant, rather whether they broke the law or not. We're going to give them a safe haven. Well, you know, that sounds you know, very nice and kind, but when you've got someone here who's illegally and breaking the law and they're not documented, so there's no way to know where they're going to go when you put them back on the streets, you're just allowing them to create more crimes. And we've seen many incidences where people have been murdered by individuals who are here illegally that were known to be illegal and they weren't uh, detained. They were let go and free to roam the streets. That's wrong. People here that are here legally are held to a higher standard when they commit a crime than illegal immigrants in some cases. So this just basically said, we've got to follow the rule of the law. Anybody in the state of Florida, uh, whether, you know, when it comes to our local governments, if they're breaking this law, they're going to be held accountable. It's that simple. Follow the law. No, I got you there. And it makes perfect sense. I'm just curious, are there other um, federal issues, like federal laws that states or cities just choose to ignore, like, you see with legal immigration, I know you saw a lot of California cities do it. Um, you know, I think a couple of cities in New York, you have what, uh, Miami, or, you know, a couple of cities on the East coast, right. With immigration. Sure. It happens. And it's, it's, it's hard to always prove, but, uh, it's certainly, we, we have illegal immigrants that slip through the, uh, um, slip through the cracks constantly. The, the, the issue is if you, uh, you know, you detain them and you, you put them through, uh, um, you know, the criminal justice system, uh, if they're not documented, uh, you can't lock them up for long and you put them back on the streets. You don't know where they're going to go and they're back out roaming the streets. So it, it certainly happens. It's always hard to, um, uh, to, to, to put your finger on the pulse and say it's happening here, it's happening there, but it does happen. In fact, we passed a law that says uh, you, there's going to be consequences if that law is broken. Well, that's, that's going to uh, put the enforcement level up a little bit higher. Yeah, I guess I was trying to find out, are there, besides illegal immigration, oh, are there right. other issues that like, states or local governments to just say like, nah, we're not doing that, dude. Like to the federal. 
None come to mind, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure it happens. I mean, there's, there's certainly enforcement. You've got court mm-hmm. systems that uphold laws like that. But uh, as you've seen with, with, uh, with this situation, um, sometimes it's a standoff. Sometimes it's the local government saying to the state, we're not going to follow the law or the state saying to the federal government or, yeah. you know, within that, you've got those three different levels where they're their own almost autonomous structure where it gets caught up in the courts. Uh, and that's a costly experience as well. So it does happen, but this is an example of where we've seen it uh, happening a lot more frequently and where lives are actually on the line. So this is one. And there's going to be punishment up. to the cities themselves. Um, yes. So any elected official is uh, uh, who, who does not follow the rule of the law is grounds for, has grounds for removal from the governor. So the governor can step in and, and remove them from office. Before there was no teeth in that law. They're saying you got to follow the federal law. If you don't, well, you broke the law, but we can't do anything about it. Now there's teeth in it and it can be enforced. The governor can just say, you're out, bro. So, you're out. That's it. Huh. Well, there you go. That'll fix that pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> Put someone's game. future and political, political expediency on the line. They might, yeah, uh, dude, he does that one time. Like the, uh, that's going to be a wake up call to a lot of these people. Um, <clears throat> okay. What about uh, the other one? I, another hot button I saw was teachers um, able to carry guns in the yeah. class. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Again, another another example where the media kind of jumps on it and, and you hear these you hear things like illegal immigrant illegal immigration that that immediately starts to trigger certain emotions. You hear something about teachers carrying guns and, and it starts to trigger certain emotions. But to, to really outline what we did, uh, obviously, we had Parkland in 2018, uh, uh, February 14th, uh, Valentine's Day. 2018. We we're all in Tallahassee when that happened. Just a, a horrible, horrible tragedy. It should never have happened. 17 lives lost. Um, and and it, it happens in our in our school. I mean, and in a school in the state of Florida, it's ridiculous. And we need to do everything we can to prevent something like that. Um, but the bottom line is, uh, you know, the, the the one person at fault is the person that was carrying the gun and committed this crime. Now we're seeing different levels of government where, where things failed. The sheriff's deputy outside never went in. He was just arrested a couple of weeks ago for negligence. Um, the, the sheriff himself was uh, removed from office. He was on trial this week uh, discussing those issues, the school board. I mean, all the way up to the FBI. I mean, you can look at levels of government where this, this kid fell through the cracks, which is terribly, terribly unfortunate, and we need to address it. So we passed a law, a very comprehensive law in 2018 that looks at hardening schools, uh, that looks at, uh, at, at gun crimes, uh, that looks at um, uh, mental health, and also within that bill, um, put together the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Task Force that would uh, uh, had individuals, uh, surviving family members of some of these uh, students that were, that were massacred. It had um, uh, education uh, folks that understand you know, how schools work. And it had uh, law enforcement officers and sheriffs on this committee that put together recommendations for the legislature to come back and visit. We're, we're, the legislature does not have infinite wisdom. We're a body of human beings. Yep. We're not perfect. And uh, we look to others to try to tell us what is the best thing to do. So rather than us just passing a bill without knowing everything, we look to the community to say, what is the best thing we can do? And they came back and said that among all these other things, hardening schools, mental health, all these very important things that you can do, one other major thing you can do is allow these teachers that are in these classrooms the ability to protect and defend themselves from the Second Amendment. Uh, and we don't allow, we, we have not allowed that previously in the state of Florida. We basically say that you have a right to... Um, the Second Amendment, a right to defend yourself until you step on school grounds. Right. And then these schools are considered gun-free safe zones, which is an oxymoron because they're not gun-free. They're free of guns carried by law-abiding citizens, but not from people that want to wreak havoc like we saw in Parkland. So we actually had a, um, um, a, uh, uh, a coach, Coach Aaron Feiss, 
uh, of the 17 massacred, three were um, teachers or administrators. And Coach Aaron Feist was one of those individuals. Uh, this program is named after him, the Aaron Feist Guardian Program. Now, I don't know if, if Aaron Feist carried a weapon um, or a, a firearm any other day, um, but what I do know is that day he did not have the means to protect himself. He used his body to defend his students and he was killed, tragically. His family allowed us to name this program after him because what the program does is says that any teacher uh, who's in a school who wants the ability to carry a weapon, we're not just gonna grant it to anybody, but if they want that ability, they've gotta go through a, a, a guardian program, a training system with their local sheriff's office. It's 143 hours, which is far more than anyone that just wants to get a concealed weapons permit, 143 hours that they've gotta go through to learn how to handle a firearm, to learn how uh, that would uh, be used in an active shooting scenario, to learn how to use that in a classroom. Uh, and they're not just gonna be teachers that are, you know walking around with guns all day, but if they're otherwise allowed to do this uh, any other day of the week in a supermarket, your car, I mean, if you're out there driving around, one in 10 people has a concealed weapon on them. I mean, that's the yeah. statistics. And then we say you can't do it in your schools and then they're getting targeted. So this would allow a pathway for them to do so. And it's not that we're you know, saying to every teacher, come up and you know, line up, we're gonna hand you a gun. It's those who choose to do so, who volunteer to do so and go through the training. I see absolutely no harm in that. 143 hours. That's a lot, man. A lot. It's a lot. And we've had a lot of people go through it. And actually, a lot of people did not pass. I don't know what the passage rate is, but uh, um, it's, it's, it's not extremely high. And that shows that there is some accountability and some stringent requirements in there before we're going to allow any teacher to walk into a classroom with a weapon. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I always, um, as a concealed carry guy, I mean, I'm a huge, yeah, a huge believer in it. And um, I see these gun-free zones and it's almost like, it feels like it's just bait. Almost. You're like, dude, there's zero criminal that's going to like, wait, there's a sign there. You know, can't take a gun in. They told, you know, the sign says so. They don't care. It's unfortunate. Like, yeah, it's it's it backwards. Really... It's oxymoronic. It's saying to the only people that are going to follow that sign are the law-abiding people. Exactly. The ones that I mean, so you're a concealed weapons permit holder, so am I. There are, um, I think, 2 million Floridians, so that's almost uh, 1 in 10 Floridians, um, are legally allowed to carry a weapon. They account for 0.002% of gun crimes. These aren't, you know, when you read about gun crimes, these are people who have guns illegally. These aren't the, the concealed weapons permit holders. These are individuals who want to protect themselves and others if they ever have to do so. Um, and uh, I think that's a, a, you know, in, in a world where we have guns and they're never going to go away, it's good for good guys to have guns. Yeah. Amen, dude. Well, that's neat. I didn't know about the 143 hours. And also I think I read that um, school districts aren't forced to do this either, right? It's up to them. They're not. So it's a matter of local control. So actually Lee County has not elected to do so. I hope that someday they change their mind. Um, but uh, no, there's 67 different counties and therefore 67 different school districts within the state of Florida. We gave them the permissive ability to do so. Hey, if you want to do this, you can. And the Florida law used to say that they couldn't. So now they're allowed to, and it's going to be up to the local school boards and local sheriffs to make that decision within their community. And what about private schools, just up to the school itself? Yes. Yeah. Up to the school itself to okay. do so. <clears throat> just asking. My wife works at Vero, so I'd just want to know. Um, all right. So uh, let's get into um, what was the other one I wanted to hit on that I thought was really uh, kind of unique. Uh, medical marijuana. Medical marijuana. Medical marijuana. 2016, the voters, uh, uh, you know, they spoke. They spoke on the Constitution. I think it was Amendment 2 back then. Every two years, they got different amendments. Uh, so uh, correct me if, I, if I'm wrong, but Amendment 2 passed in 2016 by over 70% of the vote. And this is for medical marijuana. I always want to 
put an emphasis on that. Not recreational. This isn't just, you know, free marijuana on the streets. This is for uh, medicinal purposes. So um, our job then after 2016, so the 2017 legislative session, was to implement this bill. Anytime that we have a constitutional amendment on the ballot, um, I, I, have, I, I do have issues of concern with it because we've allowed in some cases, um, while it's supposed to be the citizens that come together and put this up, you can have individuals that basically put a lot of money behind an issue and get it on the ballot. And it's not always done perfectly. So while I fully support medical marijuana, <coughs> the ballot initiative was not written uh, to the best ability that it could. So then it's up to your lawmakers to go up and try to define this. Um, okay, so medical marijuana is now legal. For what purposes? How is it distributed? Who can grow it? Who sells it? So many unanswered questions that we have got to go to the drawing board and start uh, cooking up. So we passed a bill in 2017 uh, that we believe honored the will of the voters, made sure that it was done medicinally, not recreationally, draw that fine line, make sure it's for individuals who have a need uh, for a medicine, treated like a prescription. You can buy it at, um, at a dispensary that's treated like a pharmacy. Um, it's a medicine. So we treated it that way. And then of course there's lawsuits. So we've been tied up in lawsuits ever since then. It's now mid 2019 and there's still lawsuits ongoing since 2017. Who's the, who's the main uh, people suing you? Uh, John Morgan. <laughs> and I was John, just going to ask you, did he approve, so what's his problem with it? So, uh, and John is an individual, I know him uh, personally, great guy. I don't always agree with him politically. And, uh, um, and he supports, he does support recreational marijuana. He was on the record for that just the other day. So I think he's heading in that direction and does not necessarily uh, support everything we've done to, to really make sure it's done in a limited manner for, for medicine. Uh, and one thing that he pushed uh, was being able to smoke marijuana. So our position initially in the house was that you don't smoke any medicine. You never go to a doctor and a doctor says, all right, uh, smoke three Advil and call me on Monday. You know, you don't, that's not a, a, a in, the, in the medical community, a appropriate way to intake a medicine. Um, however, um, uh, John Morgan sued us for that. And Governor DeSantis, when he took office, said, let's drop the lawsuit. Let's make sure that smokable is, is accessible to the people. So we just kind of threw up our hands and said, fine, uh, if this is what the voters want and it's going to cost us a lot of money to keep fighting this, let's undo that. So the first bill we passed this year at Governor DeSantis' request was to allow smokable medicinal marijuana uh, to be legal in the state of Florida. So that is now underway. Hmm. Gotcha. Okay. And so Morgan and Morgan is back on board with you. Yes, in this case. <laughs> we'll see what happens next. Yeah, because he was the one leading the charge during the- He was. Now, now there's even, um, so, so that was his biggest qualm. And, and he may be, I don't know if he has any other suits out there, but there's still suits ongoing about, um, um, we basically uh, required certain licenses. If you want to get into the medical marijuana business, look, marijuana is still illegal federally. So that's a big issue that we've got to contend with as a state. We can't even use banks in order to fund this because banks are backed by uh, the F uh, by the feds. Yeah, that, that really is kind of it's, crazy. It's, so there's a, there's legal a lot of issues. You're trying to make it, yeah, that's nuts. So, so it's, it's a very tough uh, area to navigate. So in order for us to try to, uh, keep this strictly in medicine and, and not get it um, mixed up with the black market that's out there that we all know uh, exists. We had to keep very stringent uh, uh, requirements in place. So only certain 
people have been able to get a license to start growing, start cultivating, start shipping, start selling. Uh, and of course, anyone that wants to get into business is going to fight the requirements we put in place. There's a bunch of lawsuits about how the licenses are administered, and that's just government for it. It's unfortunate. It's never perfect, but uh, we certainly put our best foot forward and, and try to do the best for the citizens. So if someone out there is going to want me to ask this, I know they are, recreational marijuana use. Uh, any, ho any hope of that ever passing? If it does, I don't see it happening through the legislature, at least not while um, uh, Republicans are in charge, which they are and probably will be for, for a long while. We've seen what happens in Colorado and some other states. Look, this is uh, obviously a plan on God's green earth that has a stigma, and we've, we've seen it has medical benefits, uh, but we don't know the extent of it yet. Um, F the FDA has not done research on it, and that's another issue with it being illegal um, uh, federally. I think that the Fed should remove this from the Schedule One drug. Uh, list so that they can start doing some research and start exploring this further. But before we jump into recreation, I think it should be administered by a doctor because there are side effects uh, and there are, you know, good medical effects as well, but there's got to be that balance in place. So, you know, again, with a country of laws and, and, and the way that we look at it, at least from the Republican standpoint is um, this needs to be treated like a medicine uh, before we get any further. I think the feds need to open up the doors and start studying this better so we know the, the true side effects and how this affects individuals. So if you guys see federal movement towards that, Florida may be more on board. Could be more on board. The other path is through the ballot initiative, which happened uh, in 2016. Now, um, in 2014, the ballot initiative did not pass because that mirrored more of a recreational aspect. Two years later, they made it more medical and it passed overwhelmingly. So, you know, voters' minds tend to change and things tend to evolve. I don't know that the voters uh, as a whole uh, are on board with recreational at this point, but 10 years down the road, you could see a ballot initiative and, and it's legal in Florida. But we'll yeah, see. Man, people change. I got to tell you, though, I don't. Um as just a, a regular voter, regular guy, I don't like these ballot issues. I, I, they, I, I don't like the idea of all of this being put to a popular vote and just will like even Southwest Florida last year, we passed, I think two or three tax increases with an amendment. And you're like, mm -hmm. who are these people that vote for the majority? You, you have, and I'm saying from Southwest Florida where your majority uh, conservative, Republican, you know, 60-40 almost here, I, I think. Is that the split here in Southwest Florida? Yeah, it, it roughly. It's I think it's 65-35 uh, is how the vote tends to carry out. Um, okay, but, so even higher. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, man, who are the people that are like rolling up voting for tax increases that are coming from, you know, conservative or Republican view? It was just... I don't, I don't like it sometimes. It's just me, man, on that. I, 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 I agree. So the local tax uh, um, issues were referendums put on by the local government, but it, to, to, to get to, and, and, and I, I disagree as well, I voted against them. Um, but to get back to the, um, the constitutional amendments, the constitution should be a very hard to change. I mean, the, 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 right. the idea of the constitution is it's the back, backbone of your government, the basic laws that govern um, how, how you know, the state or the country should operate. Uh, and then beyond that, you have laws, and that's what you have a legislature for. And you elect your legislators to go up there and change the laws, and that's the idea of the republic. If we go back to just any, you know, any majority rule, uh, that's mob mentality, and that's not what we have. That's not our form of government. We have a, a democratic republic. So um, what we've been doing with the constitutional amendments is pushing it more towards that mob mentality. And while I certainly uh, agree that uh, the, the will of the voters should be heard, um, the way that the constitutional amendments have been carried out is going about it the wrong way. As I mentioned before, 
Um, you've got certain areas. Uh, you can get, uh, uh, you know, any, any one group, any special interest out there with enough money behind them, they can basically buy a constitutional amendment today. And that's not the way that it's intended to be. That's not the way it should be. So we actually passed some stringent measures this year that would make it a little bit tougher for some outside group to come in and fund the constitutional amendment drive. Will the voters should be carried out? Let's get rid of this outside money interest and allow the will of the voter to be pure and done the right way. Uh, and then we had the Constitutional Revision Commission last year as well, which is an archaic thing that we have in our Constitution. Every 20 years they meet and throw things on the ballot. And they had eight amendments last year. And that's where you saw everything bundled up from, you know, one amendment that said ban vaping and ban offshore oil. And yeah, you may support one of those on their own, but if you want one of them, you got to vote for both of them. I mean, right. that's wrong too. So we're looking at reforming that as well. Um, the only things that the legislature put on there, we had amendments one, three, and five this past year, which had to do with keeping your taxes low. Ironically, amendment one failed, and that was what would have allowed every individual to have an extra $25,000 off their homestead. It was a tax cut, but I think the way that they read it, um, I, I don't know what the voters were saying as a whole, but the way that it was read uh, might have indicated that it was a tax increase. I don't know, uh, that, but that's again, points to one of the challenges of constitutional amendments. You have to be, um, you have to really know before you get into, into the, the, uh, the ballot box, what's on your ballot and study it ahead of time. And sometimes people just don't have the time. They're busy raising their kids and going to work. They get to the ballot because they know they got to vote. And they're thinking, what, what does this mean? Um, yeah. and, and that's a problem. So it's, uh, it certainly has its share of, uh, of, uh, of issues, the amendment process. Well, two things to that. One is if you're watching this, you don't know what it means, leave it blank. That's uh, exactly. I've always said that. Leave it blank. Leave it to somebody else, man. It's, a, it's not a test, dude. You're not going to fail it. Leave it Well, blank. actually, what I say when it comes to constitutional amendments is if you don't know, vote no, because when you leave it blank, now you're leaving. Um, they only count who votes yes and who votes no. They don't count a blank vote. So what you're doing when you leave it blank is you're allowing an even smaller percentage of the population to decide where your amendment, your constitution for you. So if you don't know, vote no. It doesn't mean that you, you, you dislike I, I can see that on the amendments. Yeah, yeah that, that you're, just saying, you're just saying, I don't want this. I don't know enough about it to vote you know, one way or another to have it in my constitution or to vote no or vote absent. Vote no. It's not saying you're against the issue. It's just preserving the, the constitution the way it yeah, is. Yeah, but they also, you know, they, I don't know who writes those things, man, but they make them um, so confusing for people to read and understand. You get lost in the verbiage and, I mean, you really got to like do your research on each one because the way they're worded just is confusing. Most of the we, time. Had we had Amendment 4 this past year, which is a, a voter-driven initiative. Uh, Amendment 4 would restore um, voting rights for, uh, for felons. And mm -hmm. while I believe everyone should have a second chance, that was um, full of problems as well. What it said is uh, upon completion of your, your sentence, um, you're allowed the right to vote unless your sentence was for murder or a sex offense. Uh, you know, that sounds uh, great uh, to a layman, but when it comes to the legislature and implementing that law, one, what does completion of sentence mean? Two, what does murder mean? And three, what does sex offense mean? So we had to define that. Is murder first degree murder? Simply that. Is it second degree? Is it manslaughter? Um, what is sex offense? Sex offense is not even actually a definition in law. So how far down the line do you get in sex offense? Uh, is this, is, are we talking solely about rape? Are we talking about, you know, a 17 and 18 year old uh, who, who, you know, had um, relations at some point? I mean, so what are we, what are we talking about here? What is term of sentence? Is that simply when you're relate, uh, released from, from, from uh, prison? Does that include probation? What about fines and restitution? Uh, so that's all stuff we had to define and sure enough wasn't without a share of controversy as we did so. Mm, yeah, no, I, I forgot about that one too. Um, <clears throat> okay, so anything else that you want to cover from 
you know, what else you guys did this year? Yeah, and, and kind of uh, one area in water quality, I know that's so important to Southwest Florida, especially being born and raised here, um, you know, learning the fish in these waters. I mean, that's that's something that we got to continue to chip away at. Uh, one thing I did want to mention is that, you know, even Lake Okeechobee is a big part of the problem. A lot of it's, you know, our, our local municipalities and, and, and governments as well. Except mm -hmm. sewer conversion is very important. That's something that we need to continue to focus on. Uh, and then uh, one thing that your local delegation was able to do, uh, city of Fort Myers uh, tends to, well, tends, they, they do, dump tens of millions of gallons of uh, untreated waste or treated wastewater, excuse me, treated wastewater into the Clusatchee River every single day, every single day. So this is water, it's wastewater, they treat it through their plant, but then they have nowhere to put it, so it just goes right into the river, and that has higher levels of uh, nitrogen and, and, um, uh, nitrogen and, and phosphorus. So we've got uh, 4.5 million uh, into the uh, budget this year just to construct a pipeline from the city of Fort Myers to the city of Cape Coral so that Cape Coral can use that water for irrigation purposes, for firefighters, uh, which they use uh, for their water tanks and beyond, and allow that water to be used uh, in a secondary way and filter through our, our, our earth naturally rather than just dumping it right into the water. So that was one great win, I think, from this past session. A lot of people don't know about uh, you know, how the local water is used but very important and impactful on how, on how that affects our area. Yeah, no, I, 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 I love that. Um, and, and that was, I think, almost two years ago, they had that Cape Coral and Fort Myers had the battle, right, where it was like Fort Myers wanted to sell it to them, Cape Coral didn't want to pay what Fort Myers was asking, and, right, they had that back and forth. Yeah, it was a no negotiation battle, and uh, unfortunately, while that <laughs> battle's gone going, you've got tens of millions of gallons going in the water every single day, but they, they figured it out. They were able to come to an agreement, and now it's time to build the pipeline. So that's going to take a lot of money and time. So we're able to get some money out of the uh, the, the state coffers to get that done, and then the um, cities uh, will, will add up as well. And, and that's part of our job too. I mean, look, we 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 realize uh, your your local legislators at least it's not our money that we're dealing with in Tallahassee. It's taxpayers' dollars. Um, but our job is to go up there and try to bring that money home. So uh, with the budget that I failed to mention, we put $3.3 billion in, into reserves, tax cuts. We've cut taxes by over $10 billion in the last 10 years. Uh, we do our best to make sure that money's coming home. And another way we bring that money home is uh, by going to Tallahassee and trying to bring that, that money back in projects. You're sending it there primarily through sales tax. Right. Tourists yeah. are coming down here and sending it up to Tallahassee. So if we can bring some of that money home for inf infrastructure projects, that's a wonderful thing. And that's something we try to do every single year. Uh, any idea how long it would take for that pipeline to be built? I got to find out, but I imagine somewhere in the five-year range. But uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's underway now, at least in the planning phases. And uh, we're going to get started pretty soon. Um, okay, can I, two quick uh, personal points. Can I? Do it. Okay. Um, septic inspections. Yeah. So talking to my boy, uh, Captain Planet, Garrett Stewart. I don't know if you've ever seen him out there, but uh, we did a podcast together. Freaking very interesting guy. Uh, fun to listen to. Uh, but we were taught, one of the things we were talking about was septic tanks and how, you know, basically you're not required to have a septic inspection in Florida. Mm -hmm. So excuse me any movement or uh thoughts on uh requiring septic inspections i know there's i'm in the mortgage business man and i know realtors are not going to they're going to fight you tooth and nail on mm -hmm. automatic you know septic inspections i'm sure but you got any insight on that because that causes a lot of this water quality issue is leaky septic tanks it leaky does the aquifer and then right out of the river and there you go 
Yeah, no, that's that's a big problem. So we see, you know, the, the, this this water quality issue that we have is a is a multifaceted problem. There's a lot of pieces to the puzzle to fix it, and septic is one of them. So you got the city of Cape Coral that's in the process of converting all septics to sewer, and that's great. Fortunately, it costs the citizens twenty grand a pop to do so. So it's it's really hard from a state level to require the um, transition from septic to sewer, but we've been offering incentives, a 50-50 match plan for local governments to take this on. But then beyond that, if an individual um, you know, wants to upgrade their septic system or uh, needs to go through an inspection process, we've been exploring ways to try to encourage that. We try not to always do a, uh, necessarily a mandate at the state level. We hate to try to you know, put governments uh, you know, breathing down your neck every single day. Um, but when it comes to water quality and the, the greater good of Florida, there's areas here that we need to explore. So mandatory septic inspections is something that's been discussed. Um, and, and frankly, I think that there's a, uh, um, there's, there's, there's a need somewhere there. It's about threading that needle and finding the right way to do it. Mandating someone to do something in their home is a challenge, but then again, how does that affect your neighbors and the community as a whole? Um, right. So we've been discussing ways to maybe incentivize upgrading your, your septic system. Septic systems 30 years ago are way different than they are today. So if there's a way for someone to come in and, and, and renew that, then that's going to be great for our community. We did have a bill this past year that got all the way through the final committee stops in the House and the Senate that addressed a lot of this. Unfortunately, it did not pass. And that's the nature of having a 60-day session. Uh, if you don't you know, get something finalized within those 60 days, once that clock hits midnight on the 60th day, everything dead and you start over. But I think we got a good chance to address that again this year. And there's a lot of issues in there that address um, local water quality control, septic tanks, and, and how uh, water runoff is happening. So there's, there's going to continue to be talk there. Are there any current like tax incentives with the state? Like if you have an inspection, you can get a tax credit or put a new one in? Anything like that? Not currently, but uh, there are um, uh, tax, uh, and I need to check this, actually discussing this this morning with a realtor. Um, and uh, they, we were discussing this exact subject. And I do believe in the state of Florida, up to a certain amount for you know um, higher energy products, you can save on sales tax. I need to see if that's applied to septic systems because that's a. When he told me, you know, when we started discussing that, I said that's a great idea. Let me start researching that right away. But here we are, and I haven't had time to. So I want to see where we are with that. But you know, ways to incentivize that I think is a wonderful way to to go about doing this and trying to solve that problem. Got it. Uh, what about spraying? Uh, I, I lied. I got two more issues. Um, <laughs> Sorry, man. Uh, so what about um, the spraying of weeds in Lake Okeechobee? That, that yeah. got stopped, right? So that still happens to some degree, and, and it's, it's a lot of concern. So I've been doing research on that as well, and why does this happen? So if you got weeds in, in Lake Okeechobee. Um, I should they, say weeds, like quotation marks, because they look yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, they're. I mean, they're you know they're they're natural you know plants and right. some are some are invasive species though, and what happens with this invasive species is it chokes out the rest and that upsets the equilibrium of the lake itself and can cause blue green algae. So then if you spray the weeds, you're you're getting rid of those weeds and allowing natural growth to take place. But then you got to have concern about what's being sprayed. So um, it's kind of a catch twenty two. What do we do? Do we allow these invasive species to take over, or do we try to treat them? And I've been um, you know asking questions about this. DEP assures me everything's done above board and done the right way. Um, I do uh, still have concern with how that's ongoing, but what I do have great uh, faith in is Governor DeSantis and what he's doing now with DEP and his other agencies. You know, my job as a legislature is to be a watchdog of what the executive branch is doing, DEP included, but Governor DeSantis in his uh, first executive order as governor was to appoint an um, uh, environmental um, uh, science expert 
which he's appointed to look over all of his agencies, all the rules, and make sure that everything that they do is favorable to the environment and not adverse to the environment. So if there are problems with this, it's going to be uncovered soon enough and we'll be able to address it. But uh, I have a lot of faith in what he's doing there. Another thing we did at his request is moved uh, the Environmental Crimes Unit. We do have um, a lot of good laws on the books that are um, aimed at polluters and, and making sure that uh, good environmental practices are enforced when it comes to fertilizer ordinances locally, when it comes to best management practices for uh, agricultural lands. But the question is, are these laws always enforced? Do we need to go create new laws or do we need to make sure that enforcement of our existing laws is taking place? And I think that uh, the latter is what should be happening at least first, make sure enforcement happens before we go and start creating new laws. So we move the Environmental Crimes Unit from FWC to DEP where the laws are, where they can enforce it better. I think that's a great win for this year. So uh, uh, that's gonna start taking place and make sure that polluters are, are being answered or, or that their crimes are being answered for. <clears throat> gotcha. All right, last one. Yep. Um, then then I'm, I'm tapping out, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> you got yeah, it. What a deep dive into Florida politics, man. This has been fun. Yeah, yeah and, and we're touching the surface. There's so much more, but. <laughs> oh, I, bet. I know you can start jamming <laughs> on the rest of this. Um, so I'm a huge fair tax guy, federal level, abolish the IRS. You familiar with fair tax? Yes, I am. Yeah. Okay. So I love it. Um, I was curious, state of Florida tried to do that when Marco Rubio was running the house. Right. Uh, do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. He wanted to, uh, I believe it was swap the uh, property taxes we pay for a higher sales tax. If yeah. I real estate taxes and he wanted to increase the sales price. Right. Um, almost got there. Um, di didn't get it. I loved it. I thought that was going to be awesome. Is it possible? Cause like Lee County, this is my question. So Lee County passed that amendment with a half cent sales tax, right? Right. Which they round up by the way. So mm -hmm. it's not a half cent sales tax. Got you on that one. For, for every other dollar, it's a, it's a sales tax. It's a, it's a whole penny. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Three quarters, it, you know, it, it's right. close to 1%. Um, yeah. with a half cent. So anyways, enough about that one. Um, so why can't, Lee County just do the fair tax, abolish their own property taxes and increase their own sales tax to cover that. So any, any changes to our, um, um, our tax structure at the state level, and even, even the state has some say in how the counties uh, conduct their local property taxes, that's constitutional. So in order for us to make any changes like that, we'd have to do a constitutional amendment, which is ironic. Anytime, you know, we were talking earlier about wanting to change how, um, constitutional amendments take place. Uh, the legislature itself can't just do that. Local governments itself can't just do that. The voters have to do it. The voters are the only ones that have say in how they change their constitution. So it would have to be a, a either a ballot initiative drive or the legislature can do through a two-thirds vote uh, a ballot initiative as well. So we could take that up and pass it. It would take a large, large um, majority of, of both chambers, uh, and that would mean bipartisan to get something like that done. So it's not easy. It's certainly not easy. And that's why Rubio okay. couldn't get it done. I didn't know but Lee County could control their own property taxes. They, it's, and, and that's a, a, great, a great question and how much they can control it. They are bound by the state to some degree. Um, they have uh, millage rates that they can increase and decrease. They could you know, undo their millage rate, I guess, to a high degree. They'd have to replace it with something. Um, and I guess what you're saying is maybe they reduce their millage rate and then vote to enact a higher sales tax. Um, yeah, that, that could be possible. Uh, and that highly technical. So I'd have to look into that a little bit further. Yeah. We just get generate a lot more revenue that, you know, mm -hmm. more relief to property owners, renters that don't pay any kind of taxes at all. Sure. Uh, you know, just curious. 
All right, yeah, and, there, and there's some merit to that too. I mean, what you're saying is, uh, you know, property taxes, property rights is one of the b- most basic things that we have as, uh, as American citizens, but then we tax you for that property, right? Because you own right. it too. But then if you're doing a sales tax, you're, you're taxed on use consumption. And by the way, you're also taxing tourism quite a bit. So it's not necessarily the citizens that are always paying that sales tax. You got tourists that are coming here in the drill that are helping with that, supporting that as well. So certainly yeah. some merit to it. You ride on the backs of them a little bit. Let them pay. Yeah. Uh, all right state rep dane eagle you killed it man i appreciate your time so much that was really fun i enjoyed talking with you yeah man as always always i appreciate you wanting to get to know things and putting out to your viewers so happy to participate appreciate it thanks sir so uh to the viewers out there southwest florida um you know state rep dane eagle do you got anything else you want to say to them like they best way to contact you email or yeah 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 uh, you can uh follow me on uh, uh twitter instagram facebook at dane eagle i'm not always necessarily responsive that way so you can email me at dane.eagle at myfloridahouse.gov or do a quick google search i've got staff uh, that's uh, full-time while i'm part-time uh the, my staff is full-time and their job is to help uh, answer constituents needs uh and be out in the community and make sure that we're we're, we're addressing the, the world of people i work for you so appreciate the opportunity and we want to help Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, sir. Appreciate you guys. That's your state rep, Dane Eagle, killing it. I'm sure he's got a bright future. One day he'll announce, you know, he's going to run for governor on here. I hope so. We'll, we'll see what happens there. But Dane, thanks again for being with us, buddy. I appreciate it, man. Thanks, Tim. Good to see you, man. Yeah. But hey, and you guys need something from me. Uh, don't forget, reach out anytime. Always here to help you. I'm in the mortgage business. If you need a loan, uh, a mortgage, I'd be happy to help you with that. Look me up on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, all those fun things. Um, you need to talk to me, give me a call, give me my cell phone number because I'm crazy. 239-910-5668. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the YouTube channel, Facebook, and the podcast if you listen to that. All right. I think that's enough I said. So, Dane, appreciate you again, buddy. Everyone else, thanks for listening. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.